Welcome to the Rebel at Large Adventure Podcast. I'm Drifter. And I'm Gypsy. Talking about ghost towns, graveyards, outlaws, heroes, and ladies of the night. Howdy folks. Thanks for joining us again today as we take you on a trip with us to Leadville, Colorado, as we search for the grave of one Madam Molly May. Before we tell you the story about this colorful woman, I want to let you know I got a lot of the information I'm about to share with you from an author by the name of Jan McHale Collins. She's done an amazing job at documenting these women in the red light district throughout the West, and it's not a very easy task to do, so... Props to her. As a lot of you may know, prostitution is the oldest profession in the world, and some of the madams were the wealthiest people in town. Many of the towns relied on the fines that they would charge these girls to help pay for the police, and the average amount of the fine was around $5 per girl and 15 per madam. In today's world, that would be about 126 bucks per gal and 378 bucks for the madam. Do you know how often they were fined? It was pretty much once a month they would go around and collect these fines. And every so often you'll hear about raids that they would do and bring all the girls in and charge them an extra fine on top of the regular fine. Just taxing them. Yeah, or they needed to put up a new stop sign. I don't know. Did they have stop signs back then? Uh, Maybe not. Okay. (laughs) I don't think the horses could read. True. So Molly May, she was born in 1851 to Thomas and Bessie Bryan. They were living in Virginia at the time, and her real name was Melinda. Melinda. Yeah, Melinda, which is spelled M-I-L-I-N-D-A, May Bryant. That doesn't sound Spanish. No. (laughs) I made it sound Spanish, Melinda. That means my beautiful woman. You fancied it up a little bit. At least in Spanglish, if not Spanish. (laughs) Um, Molly went by many other names aside from Melinda and Molly. Uh, She was also Melinda, which is M-E-L-I-N-D-A, and Maggie Mickey. That's kind of the same. Close. Started with the M. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jenny Mickey. And this one's nowhere near close to being any of her names is Jessie Brown. Must have been from a song. Maybe. (laughs) So because she has so many different names, it was really hard to track her throughout history. Several accounts state that she lost her virginity to a, quote, lustful suitor while she was living in Illinois. Do we know about how old she was at that time? I'm not sure. They did say that she was a prostitute for around 15 years prior to her passing away, so maybe roughly 16-ish. Okay. So she became a prostitute around 20, early 20s. Yeah. So this would have been several years before that, so yeah. Mm -hmm. She was a teen. Yeah. Which wasn't uncommon back then for them to, you know, marry at a young age. It's weird now, but not back then. Yeah, I think they all had children by the time they were 14. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, So after she fell for him, he took her to Cheyenne, Wyoming, but then he ended up leaving her there. That was nice. Yeah, at least you got a ride to Wyoming, so. Oh yeah, of all the places to go, that's (laughs) amazing. Uh, While Molly was in Wyoming, she actually did find a job working for a man named Jim McDaniels, and he owned a theater. And so working there, she also doubled as a prostitute. Mm -hmm. 
So is this an entertainment type of theater or another code word for brothel? No, I think it was an actual entertainment theater. You would go there and they would put on plays and maybe have somebody playing the piano. Mm, it's just kind of like the uh, birdcage down a tombstone. Yeah, that's mm. kind of the feeling I got from it. Very cool. So in 1876, Mr. McDaniels moves his theater to Black Hills in South Dakota, and Molly went with him. Did he leave her there? In in uh, South Dakota? Yeah. No, you'll oh. find out what he does. So, so he's a better fella. Yeah. Good job. Good job, Molly. <laughs> uh, so while Molly was in Deadwood, she saw an opportunity to venture out on her own, and she actually opened her first brothel. To step up from just working in one? Yeah, exactly. Uh, in May... Of 1876, while Molly was in the Gem Theater, one of Molly's admirers, Mr. Jim May, who was a boxer in the Black Hills, he was with his brother, who was a famous bounty hunter by the name of Boone May. He would have had a TV show nowadays. Yeah, (laughs) with a name like that. Yeah, Boone the Bounty Hunter. Yep. Actually, I think there was a movie that somebody tried to make about Boone May the Bounty Hunter. Oh, yeah? Uh Uh-huh. Um, when I tried to find information on him, that was one of the first things that popped up was Boone the Bounty Hunter movie. I'm sure it was going to be awesome. Yeah, I think it had like one star rating. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it's Trace Atkins and Chris Christopherson. I don't even think it was that high class of actors in mm. it. <laughs> uh, so these two brothers, they're in the gem saloon with Molly. They start fighting over Molly, which led to Boone pulling out his gun, and he actually fired his gun at his brother. He did miss his brother, and the bullet actually hit Molly, Mm. but thankfully she was wearing her corset, and the metal binding in it saved the bullet from actually um, hitting her. Just deflected the whole bullet. Yeah. There's Wonder Woman stuff going on there. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) The gym theater, was that uh, Al Swearingen's? Yeah, and one of the things I read that uh, Jim McDaniels eventually did buy the gym theater saloon. Oh, really? Uh-huh. So I don't know if he owned it at the time while this happened. Um, and I don't know if when he did buy it, if he renamed it the gym theater or left it. It would make sense that he wouldn't change the name. If you already had a theater, just keep it the gym saloon. Yeah. It yep. is interesting. Yeah, well, what would be the word? Entrepreneur of a man. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. Uh, also, while Molly was in Deadwood, she had a run-in with a prostitute by the name of Fanny Geertsen. And Molly, Fanny, and Fanny's husband, who has a really awesome name of Banjo Dick Brown. Banjo Dick. Yes. <laughs> Supposedly he played the banjo in the band that he was in. That would make sense. What do they call a guitar player, do you suppose? Probably Dick Guitar. Guitar Dick? Guitar. Drummer Dick? <laughs> yes. It's the whole Dick band? Yes. I dig it. <laughs> so the three of them were in the carriage. The two women start fighting. Who knows what they're fighting over? Uh, Fanny and Banjo Dick were, uh, they were very jealous of each other and got in several fights. So I wonder if maybe... Fanny got mad at Molly for something stupid with him. Uh, they start arguing, wrestling in the carriage, and Fanny actually bites Molly's ear off. Her whole ear or just? Uh, just a chunk of her ear. Oh, that's enough. Yeah. So at, at this point, Molly, she's done with Deadwood. 
between getting shot at, her air bitten off, she decides that she's going to leave to Colorado. And so when she heads there, she doesn't go straight for Leadville. Excuse me. She doesn't go straight for Leadville. Hmm. She actually um, stopped in a town called Silvercliff, then a town Bonanza, and a town Pueblo. Hmm. I like Pueblo. Yeah. It's a fun little place. Yeah. Uh, She arrived in Leadville in 1878. So those of y'all that ain't familiar with Colorado, Leadville's about 100 miles southwest of Denver, kind of just below Vail. If you take I-70... Coming in from the California side, you would pass over Vale and then drop south from there. So about 100 miles just kind of makes a little dog leg down. Yeah. Um, Really fun little town. Mm -hmm. So Molly, when she arrived in Leadville, it had been a town for about a year at this point. And she purchased her first house at 144 Main Street. Yeah, so we went over there. Main Street is now 3rd Street, and Mm -hmm. it's just an empty lot where... Her place once was. There's nothing left there. Yeah, which I find a lot of places where we go that had brothels, they just don't even exist anymore. Yeah, they tore them down or they mm-hmm. burnt down. Who knows? Yeah. Um, surprisingly, Molly actually had the first town, or excuse me, the first phone in town. For calling who? I don't know. I mean, nobody else had one, so. I mean, I guess she could call back to Deadwood. Yeah, if they had a phone there. Well, they would have had the first. One of the first phones, right? In Deadwood, it seems like. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe she was calling her buddy Jim. I don't know. Yeah, she can't call the police because she has the only phone in town. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wasn't there something about the police would use her phone for investigations or something like that? Oh, no. I was uh, I was reading a excerpt of a autobiography a woman had wrote who had lived in Colorado, and she was... Uh, running the switchboards for the telephones. Okay. And she recalls some madams calling each other and, you know, from one town to another and requesting them to send more girls to the other town because they were maybe having a party or somebody's bachelor party or something. So it's like a car dealership. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> so. I need three more of this model. Yeah, she she said in the book that uh, one of the madams told the other madam, no, don't send her. The guys don't like her. Send so-and-so. <laughs> so they, they knew the girls from one town to another. Kind of fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same year that Molly buys her house, her buddy Jim McDaniels moves to Leadville as well. Did he go there for Molly or was he just rambling through? I don't know. Part of me thinks maybe he did. But at the same time, Leadville was a new, a newer mining town, newer than Deadwood. Mm-hmm. And we all know when those first mining towns pop up, they're they're pumping out a lot of money. So he may have seen a chance to earn money, and also how nice to go somewhere that you already know someone there, mm-hmm. and they already have a feel of the town a bit. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, in September, the Chronicle published an article with the headline quote. Riot at Molly Mays. Uh, the story goes, apparently, two men burst into the parlor and, again, quote, tore up the place. While this was all going on, Molly was, quote, again, knocked down and kicked all around the room. She was very much battered and bruised. I love how they describe all of that. Battered and bruised. 
Yeah, kicked all around the room. <laughs> Poor girl. In 1880, Jim McDaniels purchased the former New Athenium Theater that was located on State Street, and he renamed it New Leadville Theater. That's a little easier to say. Yes. I'm sure for all the miners. Yes, I agree. <laughs> I'll meet you at the New Leadville versus the uh, that Greek-named one, or is that Latin? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because I thought at first it was Anthium. So. Yeah. A uh, little side note for you, though. In 1879, that bitch Fanny Gerritsen Brown. The same broad that bit Molly's ear? Yes, that same one. Huh. So she shows up in Leadville alone, I might add. No banjo playing dick with her, huh? Nope. Hmm. And uh, she came down there so that she could actually perform at McDaniel's Theater. So he hadn't quite yet acquired the new one, but he would have had one that he could perform at for her. So. Mm-hmm. I hope that Fanny uh, saw Molly's place and was slightly jealous, maybe. Mm-hmm. Just don't ride in a carriage together. No. <laughs> uh, the same year Jim McDaniels purchases the theater, Molly decides to sell her house. And she sells it to the city. And you'll never guess what they use it for. A commode. Close. It's actually the city hall. That's and, close. Yes. <laughs> so I found that kind of funny because the town later on tries to run the girls out of town. And there they are, right in town business, right out of a brothel. So who do you think sat in the uh, in Molly's bedroom? Probably the mayor. That would be appropriate. <laughs> Absolutely. I dig it. Or the the court marshal. <laughs> or no, the court marshal is the guy that sits in front of the judge, right? I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, so she sells her house so that she can buy her new house. And that's located at 129 West 5th Street. Mm-hmm. It's down around the corner. Yeah, not too far. <laughs> yeah, so we actually went to that address. There's still an old house there, which is in the same design as everything from that time period. So it may very well be the original structure. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks to now be connected with the house next door. I'm not really sure if they're actually connected or when they became connected, if it's something that Molly would have done uh, connecting the houses, because yeah. eventually Molly did end up buying that house as well. Yeah. Uh, we looked up the Sanborn maps and it shows them close. It's really hard to tell if there was any property between them at all, you know, even a dirt line or if it was an actually shared mm-hmm. wall to start with. So it's an interesting thing. Yeah. It wasn't uncommon for them to share a wall when they were building things to save on material. So. Mm-hmm. And it's not a fire hazard at all. No, not at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, Molly hadn't been living at her new address for very long before a man by the name of James Burns was shot on February 14th. Happy Valentine's, James. Mm, That's a sad Valentine's. Oh. (laughs) So he was actually on his way to her house after leaving the Spencer's Saloon. And Molly's housekeeper, Hattie Dickhurst. There's a lot of dicks in this story you're telling here. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I don't make (laughs) these names up. (laughs) Yeah, but if you were going to, I think it would have been the same. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Uh, So Hattie Dickhurst heard the commotion and ran outside to find James Byrne was lying on the back porch. They brought him into the house, laid him on the couch while he was there waiting for the doctor to arrive. He sadly didn't make it. Before the doctor got there and uh, passed away. Hmm. The Carbonate Chronicle said a man by the name of James Langan shot Mr. Burns when he saw him on his property. James Langan is quoted saying, don't you cross this lawn, you son of a bitch. 
Mr. Langwin was actually released on the grounds of self-defense. So apparently kids walking on your lawn, if you shoot him, you can get off on self-defense back then. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, he's threatening his grass. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, in November 1880, another shooting actually took place outside of Molly's house, and this was of a man named Louis Lamb. There's a few stories about what happened, and one of them goes that uh, former Marshal Martin Duggan, who was actually a bully to Lamb since childhood, was taking a sleigh to the bordello of Winnie Purdy. Winnie Purdy. Yes. She Purdy. <laughs> I hope she was. Uh, while he was on his way, he almost... I hit Lewis. Lewis started yelling at him, drew his pistol towards Martin, at which point Martin drew his pistol and shot Lewis. When the police arrived, he said, quote, I am the man that done it. I am the man. Yeah. At least he told him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Fessed right up. <laughs> well, okay. At least in that story, he told him. Another story goes that Martin Duggan was delivering the sleigh to Winnie Purdy when he found Lewis Lamb was dead. And it looked to be suicide due to the fact that his gun was laying next to him. How very coincidental, though, that the only witness was Martin Duggan. And he was the marshal, right? The ex-former marshal? Yep, and the bully. Uh-huh. So in either story, Martin Duggan went free, which upset Minnie Lamb. She didn't believe that he committed suicide in the middle of the street? No, I wouldn't either. <laughs> yeah, not, not a typical suicide place, I don't suppose. No. So, Mindy Lamb, Lewis's wife, she actually got really upset, went up to Mr. Duggan, and it said that she told him, quote, I shall wear black and mourn this killing until the very day of your death, and then, God damn you, I will dance upon your grave. It's a lot of hatred to have towards somebody. Justified. Yes. Uh, Molly watched the whole thing take place, and when she saw Mindy walking past her house a few days later, she actually stopped Mindy, and it's quoted that she told her, you don't know me, but I wanted to tell you that what happened to a decent man like your husband was a dirty, rotten sham, and I am really sorry for you. It is a dirty, rotten sham. I love it. Uh, the two women actually became really good friends, and Mindy was seen hanging out in front of Molly's house on several occasions and even attended Molly's funeral. Yeah, not very common for the respectable folk to be hanging out with the ladies of ill repute, for sure. No, the the town really frowned upon that. I wonder if Mindy ever got to dance on Mr. Duggan's grave. I sure hope she did. I hope so. If not, I'll go dance on it for her. Mm -hmm, certainly. <laughs> uh, the next time Molly had gunfire ensue by her brothel, Molly was actually involved in it. She got in a fight with Sally Purple. Sally Purple. Yes. I think that's probably her birth name. I think so, too. From Mr. and Mrs. Purple, her parents. Maybe their last name was Blue, and she just changed it to Purple. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the two women got in a fight, and they were arguing over whose hometown was the best. My favorite thing to fight over, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's like college kids rivalry. <laughs> uh, they actually pulled their guns out, started firing at each other. Nobody was injured, but the Leadville Democrat wrote, quote, both parties are resting on their arms and awaiting for daybreak to resume hostilities. Do we know if they resumed on daybreak? 
you know, I couldn't find any news articles. So maybe if they did resume, it probably didn't involve guns. And the woman just kept arguing back and forth with each other and never shooting guns after that, hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, a little excessive. Yeah, well, and you wonder if somebody walking by could have got hit. Mm. <laughs> a little crazy. So, uh, Molly must have been doing pretty well for herself at this location because in 1880, the census records show that she had 10 female boarders and two male employees. Mm-hmm. Molly wanted to expand her business, and in 1882, she purchased a second brothel, the one we talked about. And the address of that one was 131 West 5th Street. And that's where we weren't sure if Molly did the construction to connect the buildings or if they were just that close and she ended up buying them. Uh, rumor has it that silver millionaire Horace Tabor was said to be a silent partner in the purchase of this building. This is Horace and Baby Doe Tabor, right? Yeah, the ones that own the mine there in town. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about them in a future episode for sure. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. So shortly after purchasing the brothel, Marley... Marley is the dog that you just heard sigh in the background. (laughs) I'm sorry, not Marley, Molly. (laughs) So Molly charged Annie Layton with stealing a dress. While the two women were arguing back and forth in the courtroom, Annie accused Molly of running a house of ill repute. And Molly fired back saying that Annie actually worked there. Hmm. So both women dropped charges. Yeah, the pot call on the kettle black. (laughs) Yeah. That same year, news reports talk about Molly now having a three-year-old living with her. Pueblo's Daily Chieftain reported in May that it was no more than a bargain sell. The Cyprian paying the parents so much money for the child and they signing an indenture for its adoption. The indignation is great, but just what steps will be taken in the matter is not fully determined. The papers then went on to tear the people of Leadville down who, quote, allowed a helpless, sinless child to be abused, kicked, cursed, persecuted, and starved by its brutal parents without lifting a hand to save it until a woman of town came forward and took the little one under her protections. So while all this was going on, Molly actually stayed silent, and then she finally did an interview with the Leadville Herald explaining that the mother of the child was too poor to care for her and that she was taking care of her until the mother could get a hold of her family for help. My favorite part of the whole story is that she ended the interview by angrily reminding everybody of all the charities, churches, and hospitals she made donations to on a regular basis. Molly ended up adopting the little girl and named her Ella Moore. When she was old enough, Molly sent her to Illinois to go to the St. Scholastica's Institution for her education. I think that's institute, not institution. <laughs> it is. She might have been crazy, though. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in June 1884, the Carbonate Chronicle wrote that when Molly was returning from Utah, she met a mother and a, quote, brown-eyed, yellow-haired little girl, scarcely three years old. So Molly had a very kindred heart for children, it seems. And the mother told Molly she broke up with her Mormon husband when he brought a new wife home. Yeah, living the polygamy life back then. Mm -hmm. So the woman had asked her parents for help. 
but her parents told her that they would only take her in and not the child, and she was on her way to take her to the state asylum. Molly actually offered to take the child, and the mother, it said, quote, willingly placed it in her care. When Molly arrived in Leadville, her housekeeper, Laura Graham, told Molly she wanted to adopt a little girl. Two months later, in August, the Leadville Daily Herald wrote the little girl was actually adopted by a woman in Green River, Wyoming, and the woman had, quote, concluded that she did not want a child as badly as she thought she did and was taking her to the poorhouse. Laura Graham had also decided that she didn't want the little girl and gave her to another woman in Leadville. The poor little girl had been passed around quite a bit before she finally ended up with a family permanently in Leadville. By 1885, it seems Molly may have been done with Leadville and decided to move to Pitkin. And so Pitkin, Colorado is about 120 miles southwest of Leadville. It was founded in 1879 and is said to be Colorado's first mining camp west of the Continental Divide. It uh, didn't really survive much through the history. In 2010, census showed that there were 66 residents, which was down from 124 in the 2000 census. Wow. So hardly anybody living there anymore now. Not much. Uh, one wonders if may if maybe Molly went to let to Picton to either get away or to maybe um, scope out by getting another brothel because she is actually living with other prostitutes while she's there. But she actually didn't stay in Pitkin long because she did get word that the woman in Leadville running her brothel had stolen around $800 for her. That's about twenty one grand a day. That's a lot of money. That's a reason to go back. Yeah. <laughs> Molly did try to notify the Buena Vista police, but the woman was never found, unfortunately. So she just lost twenty one grand and nobody to run her whorehouse for her. Yeah, and head back to Leadville where she didn't want to be. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, things had not improved for Molly when she got back to Leadville. She was still finding herself in trouble. In March 1886, the Carbonate Chronicle reported that she got in an argument with three men at her brothel when she tried to blow her police whistle. Uh, quote, one of the men held her mouth while another one of them struck her in the face. They was a little angry, it sounds. Yeah. So did they just carry around uh, whistles and that was just their way of alerting the police? I couldn't tell you. Oh. I could see them all having a whistle on their neck like a little kid to blow. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, that's interesting. So sadly, on April 13th, 1887, at the young age of 36, Molly May passed away. Hmm. The Leadville Weekly Chronicle called it, quote, neuralgia of the heart, which is a fancy way of saying she had a heart attack. Her obituary, which made it as far as Pueblo, read, quote, she was a woman who, with all her bad qualities, was much given to charity and was always willing to help the poor and unfortunate. The funeral was held at her brothel and was one of the largest funerals in Leadville. She even had a $3,000 hearse and eight carriages take her to her final resting place. Again, just because it's fascinating that three grand is worth about 75000 in today's money. <laughs> uh, the cemetery that she's buried in is the Evergreen Cemetery. Which is a whole about three quarters of a mile away from where her brothel lays. Pretty expensive ride to your final resting place. How many carriages? Eight. 
I think with them all lined up, they almost reached from the brothel to the cemetery entrance. That's interesting. And she's not far from inside the entrance either. No. <laughs> they just moved her from one carriage to the next till she finally made it to the hearse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> huh. Maybe they took the long way around the block. I hope they did. <laughs> made a parade of it. Yeah. So the Leadville Evergreen Cemetery is uh, on the tops of our list over here. Uh, we visit a lot of cemeteries, and it's one that we have stopped at a few times and yeah. still have more plans to get back to. Uh, we'll probably cover the cemetery itself in a future episode. So Molly had requested that there was no marker to be placed for her, so a small evergreen tree marks her resting place. If you'd like to offer her your regards, you can find her to the right of the grave of Mr. Edward Frodsham. We kind of had a time ourselves trying to find it due to the map of the cemetery not being very detailed. So Gypsy ended up asking some folks who were working in the cemetery if they could help us find the location, and turns out they were volunteers helping clean up and restore the cemetery and mm -hmm. trying to preserve it. So one of the fellows in the group said his grandpa used to run the cemetery. So that was kind of a nice little... Nice little find. Mm -hmm, absolutely. So unfortunately, they didn't really know anything about the location of Molly, but they did suggest to check out the library. Which we had never thought of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just a tiny little small town. It is a state-owned library, I'd reckon, and they'd have state documents over mm -hmm. there. So we went in there. We barely made it with about a half hour, maybe 45 minutes to spare before they closed. And the gal led us into the back room of the library, which is made up of some gorgeous wood cabinets and a lot of old, old books out there. So the lady there had helped us find the maps, you know, got the right books down. She wasn't actually letting us handle the books ourselves, but she was pulling them all down <laughs> and flipping through them on her own because everything in there seemed to be original records. Yeah, I mean, she all but had her white gloves on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which I'm sure somebody was cringing that she didn't have her white gloves on. <laughs> yeah. uh, but she found all the right maps. She helped us figure out what location was what. A lot of very helpful stuff because, again, it's not really well marked even where it has the Catholic section of the cemetery. In a lot of cemeteries, there's huge crosses around and lots of them that make it real yeah. obvious. This one wasn't so obvious, and there was a Protestant section. Uh, the Jewish section was removed from the main body of the cemetery, mm -hmm. so that was easier to identify. And a whole lot of the, what is it, the Star of David on the, cemetery, on the headstone, so that was a yeah. little easier. The Masonic section had... The square and compass on the fence. It was the only section that was actually fenced in. Yeah, the Odd Fellows had like a gate, but it, I don't recall it ever being like actually fenced in. Yeah, they had an Elks section too, and they had a giant elk statue. Is this, am I thinking of the right one? I, there, I remember there being an elk statue. So yeah, I think you are. Yeah. I feel like that was in the same cemetery. It was like way over on the other side though. Yeah, looking at the map they had at the entrance where the children's section was, mm -hmm. was misleading, to say the least. Yeah. <laughs> and then even traipsing around through the Pottersfield area, there's hundreds of unmarked graves, and they're not even, you know, finding the headstones. They're old wooden markers leaning against trees, nothing legible left on them, nothing identifying who's out there. Yeah. Anyway, a very cool place and a lot of volunteer work. They had signs posted out there for they want they need more help. So yeah. if you happen to be in the area or near the area and want to help contribute, I'm sure that they would take a weekend anytime you could offer one up. So if you're interested in going down there or want to have something to do while you're going out there, I'm sure they would love to accept your help. Yeah. 
So by all means. Um, after Molly passed away, the executor of Molly's estate added everything up and it was valued at $25,000. And that also included her collection of $8,000 in diamonds. So that twenty-five grand is about six hundred and ninety-three thousand today. Wow! And so you figure about a third of that in diamonds, so a little over two hundred grand in diamonds alone. Wow! The newspaper figured that the money would go to six-year-old Ella Moore. After Ella finished school, she did move back to Leadville in nineteen o one, and the Leadville Herald wrote that twenty-two-year-old quote they called her Lillian, which is close to Ella. Um, so Lillian Moore, adopted daughter of Molly May, attempted to kill herself. Doctors were able to save her life only for her to get on a train headed for Denver, never to be heard from again. She took the money and ran. <laughs> or she went off and killed herself under a different name. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, kind of. I hope she started a good life for herself. Yeah, she had the means to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, Molly was a strong woman who survived being beaten several times, shot at on multiple occasions, and also robbed. But she was always willing to help out the people in need and take in children to help them out. And it's just sad to hear of a woman dying at such a young age with still so much left to offer. Absolutely. Yeah, pretty unfortunate. We've covered a lot of different madams, and they live well into their 70s and 80s and have mm-hmm. been madams the whole time and they've pretty much run whole cities and owned real estate up yep. and down the whole town so yeah kind of a shame because she had kind of the same heart it seems yeah 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 well there you have it folks that's our adventure in finding madam molly may yep if you want to see pictures of our trip to find miss molly may please go to our website rebelatlarge.com and we'll post pictures right to this episode if i get that figured out <laughs> so you can also follow us on our Instagram page, Rebel at Large. So if you subscribe to our podcast, you'll be notified, obviously, when the next podcast yep. comes out. And if you feel so inclined, leave us a review or a comment. We'll read them all. Yes, we will. Yeah, so thanks again for joining us, everybody, and traveling along with us. Safe travels. We'll see you all down the road. Bye.